to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hi, this is Dr. Aviva Ram, and welcome to a unique episode of Natural MD Radio. You know, we're all in a moment right now. Again, another moment. And this moment is the Delta moment. And I think a year ago, when we were in the throes of COVID being still relatively new, and we kind of all knew we needed to wear masks and hand sanitize and stay home if we could, it was really painful and really hard. But in some ways, the decisions were pretty simple. Add in the vaccine, add in now we've kind of gone back out in the world, we've re-entered, and things are really confusing and really overwhelming. And I get so many questions in my email inbox, in my social media comments, and from friends and family. I've even gotten on the phone with friends of my children's. Um, to walk through a lot of the common concerns that we're having. Is the vaccine safe? Does it protect us from Delta? What does Delta mean? What about long haul symptoms? What about the vaccine if I'm trying to conceive? What about COVID if I'm trying to conceive? What about if I'm pregnant, postpartum, breastfeeding? What about my children? What do I need to know? In this episode of Natural MD Radio, I share with you the Instagram live that I did based on the hundreds of questions that were sent in and distilled down to the core common themes that address these issues. Now, I know that some of you may not agree with some or all of what I say. I hope that we can all be friends, even if we disagree, and maybe this episode is not for you. But if you're looking for information from a midwife, herbalist, Yale-trained MD, who is someone who understands the vaccine dilemma, who understands the questions about public health, and who understands it from the heart of a midwife and the mind of a scientist um, with a medical and public health background, I think you'll find this episode really, really helpful. And as I share In the Instagram Live, I have absolutely no financial ties to any medical or pharmaceutical institutions. This is not a sponsored or paid for episode or podcast at this point for that matter. This is really me sharing with you the same information that I share with my friends, my children, my children's friends, my patients, et cetera, et cetera, my family. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's reassuring. I hope it helps you to find your own best place in the sun, in the confusion and doubt and overwhelm. I hope it helps to dispel some myths, and I hope it helps to provide some concrete information that you can use to make your own best decisions. So have a listen. Uh, Enjoy your walk. If you're walking while you're listening, perhaps have a cup of tea. If you're somebody who would rather watch me talk through, uh, you can head over to my Instagram live. And for those of you who don't have social media, this is also for you. 
for the many of you who said, I'm not on social media, but how can I access that content? And please know this information is ever evolving. I'm staying on top of it all the time. So as there are major shifts in the landscape, of course, I will hop back onto social media and hop back on here with a next level um, of information for you. For example, I really don't have a lot to say about boosters right now because the information is still so new. So I hope again, this is helpful, supportive, and reassuring, and I wish you all good things in these strange times. Hi, everybody, and welcome to an Ask Me Anything, but it's not the exact right name for today because you already asked me ahead of time, and now I'm doing the answering. So unlike our usual sessions together where you can type in comments and ask me questions, my experience with a topic this loaded, hot, and controversial is that it's healthier for everyone to just be able to hear the information. So for those of you who are joining, today is a pandemic update. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. For those of you who are new to me, I am a midwife, an herbalist, and a Yale-trained MD with an internship from Yale and internal medicine and family medicine residency with a specialty in women's health and pediatrics and integrative medicine from Tufts. So I bring to you today the heart and compassion and understanding of a midwife and a mom and the science and training in public health of uh, my physician background. I am going to use some notes to stay on topic and what I'm going to be doing is we'll have about an hour, hour and 15 minutes where I'm going to answer the questions that you sent in over the past week. It's been an epic 18 months. I remember the excitement about going into 2020, a year of vision, as I was calling it. In fact, I was on vacation in Costa Rica celebrating with some friends um, in the end of January of 2020. And then it seems like everything came to a screeching halt. The world changed. I and my team have tried to be here with you in so many ways and for you as you and we have sorted out so many concerns around all the things as we started calling it. Just when we thought it was safe to go back in the water, metaphorically speaking, along came Delta. With the original strain and pre-vaccine era of covid There were actually fewer choices, though the fear was high given rapid spread and unknowns on every level from personal infection risk to worries about food shortage supplies, even toilet paper. Then we sort of settled in. And for many, the vaccine from there was a welcome relief, allowing for greater social connection and a return to life as we knew it, or sort of. For many, the advent of vaccinations was incredibly confusing. Likely more so for many of you in this community who are trying to live more naturally and avoid unnecessary pharma, and also because you're an educated community and we're a multi-ethnic, multi-background group with unique concerns based on very real historical precedents and evidence of medical mistreatment and experimentation. But even within that, many of you, like I did, chose to participate in this massive public health movement and slight experiment in order to stem the pandemic, 
or simply live your life with a little more confidence and security in the face of this novel coronavirus. Now with Delta, the cards seem to be shuffled differently. The playing field has changed and there is a lot of uncertainty again and a lot more choices, which is exhausting while also returning to more mask wearing, fist bumps over hugs again, and anxiety over what choices are best. Add to this mix the the vaccine now becoming available for young people 12 to 18, vaccine or testing mandates in various places, or mask wearing mandates in workplaces, and again, more decisions. Today, we're going to unpack the latest as I answer the questions you've sent in. Please know this presentation is my interpretation of the literature to date that I have reviewed, including over 35 articles I've read just this week to prepare for you and to prepare for this talk and for the questions that you have sent in. I deeply understand vaccine hesitancy and want to emphasize that there is no one right or wrong answer, and I really, really urge us all to refrain from judgment. It's still a matter of finding your best place in the sun. But there are also hard facts we do know about the impact that mask wearing, social distancing, and vaccines have had on pandemic spread, and they have been strong and positive. And I'm looking at these issues, as I said, with the compassionate understanding of a home birth midwife who understands the fears and hesitancies, and as a Yale-trained MD and family physician with a firm grasp on public health data. For, these join, for those of you joining me in real time, as I mentioned, if you've just come in, comments are closed on this discussion to enable everyone to focus and make their own decisions based on the facts and your own inner peace about it, and to avoid comments from trolls and judgmental comments from each other. I don't expect all of you to agree with all that I say today. That's okay. Take what you need from this discussion and from my work in general. I also want to make it clear that I have no paid relationships with any medical or pharmaceutical or government agencies or institutions. This is an unfunded talk out of my generosity and my team's generosity in assembling the questions that you sent in and out of our concern for your need for answers in this time in a place that you can feel safe and trust. So again, sit back, have some tea if you can, listen, take notes if you'd like, and feel free to share this with your friends, family, and colleagues. Please know that as data shifts, as it's doing rapidly, the facts and opinions I share in this talk today may change or even become obsolete. I'm committed to periodic updates as major shifts occur, as is currently happening right now. So thank you for joining me. And I'm going to just literally be going through the areas of questions that you guys sent in the I think it's five or six areas of questions are um, COVID and Delta, general vaccine hesitancy and what you might need or want to know, vaccines and hormones, vaccines and pregnancy and breastfeeding and fertility, vaccines and kids, and if we have time to get to it, alternative treatments, but bottom line with alternative treatments is that there are none that... um, I trust or believe in from ivermectin to botanicals. If anyone is selling you and telling you that something works as an alternative, it's just not true. And look, I say that as someone who has been doing this work, those of you who know my work know I've been doing this for almost 40 years and I'm very, um, very out of the box in how I take care of myself and my family and, um, 
and in my medical practice. So I'm saying that quite seriously. So if we get to that, we will, but that's basically my bottom line. So questions that came in, is Delta more deadly or just more contagious? Bottom line is what we know about Delta right now is that it is just far more contagious. It is not uh, so far a more deadly vaccine. That said, it is infecting more children. And so there has been an uptick in adverse um, outcomes that we've seen in children. We'll get to that when we get back around to it. But in general, no, just much more contagious. Um, with Delta, is, is a symptomatic vaccinated person any different from a symptomatic unvaccinated person? If you get Delta, if you get any coronavirus, the symptoms are the same. The fever, the chills, the headaches, et cetera, et cetera. It's all the same. Um, you're more likely to have symptoms if you're unvaccinated. You're more likely to contract any of the COVID um, virus vaccines, uh, COVID virus strains if you're unvaccinated. That is unquestionable. And you are also more likely to spread COVID to others if you're unvaccinated. The Delta spread is probably about a thousand times more um, viral load than the uh, previous strain. So um, you're more likely to spread Delta. But if you are vaccinated and you get sick, you are less likely to develop severe symptoms. So the benefit of the vaccine over unvaccinated in terms of severity of illness is that you are much likely to get sick, much likely to get very sick, and absolutely much likely less like much less likely to so much less likely to get sick, much less likely to get very sick, much less likely to need hospitalization, incredibly unlikely to need ICU or intubation or to die from COVID if you're vaccinated. Um, are vaccinated and unvaccinated people transmitting Delta at the same rate? Why vaccinate them? We know that that vaccinated people are spreading the COVID virus less. There seems to be less viral load in your uh, nasal passages if you've been vaccinated. So we can all still spread it vaccinated or unvaccinated. We can all still get it vaccinated or unvaccinated, but you're reducing the likelihood of getting sick and you're reducing the um, the spread of, of um, vaccines. I just want to take a step back because for those of you who are new to me, maybe just found me today or recently, um, I wrote a book on vaccinations that came out in 2000. It was a very, I was, uh, it was a very early book. It was before people weren't vaccinating. It was a thing back then. It was you know, less than one percent of people weren't vaccinating. Um, to be very transparent, when my children, who are now 27 to 36 years old, were were babies and toddlers, the only uh, pertussis vaccine was the whole cell pertussis. The only polio for my first two children was the live polio. So I did not vaccinate my older, my children when they were young. Some of my children have chosen for various reasons to become partially or fully vaccinated as they've been adults, international travel, medical school, etc. cetera. Um, but I just wanted to share that with you. So those of you who are not familiar with my background know that I am not your typical like vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. Um, physician, and I do see patients in my practice who are not vaccinated. I'm not. Um, I'm not the typical um, physician that way. And again, I come from a background as a home birth midwife. So when I'm talking about um, the COVID vaccine, I'm really talking about it based on the data and based on my personal evaluation for myself, my family, my patients, and the general public 
um, of the risk and benefits of the vaccine versus getting sick. But it's not as like your typical, you know, public health person or doctor who's like, everyone should be vaccinated. We should never question anything. Um, But I do think that this is an unprecedented time and it puts us in a different stratosphere, if you will, of considering this particular vaccination, especially. Um, The next question is the effectiveness of the vaccines. So overall, um, the vaccines have initially, and I'm talking about Moderna and Pfizer. I'm not talking about J&J, which any of you have followed me from the beginning. I have not recommended the J&J way before we knew there was clotting. And I'm only talking about the vaccines that are available in the U.S. So the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer, when they first came out, were thought to have approximately in the mid 90, low to mid 90% efficacy for preventing COVID infection and seriously reducing the severity of disease and likelihood of death. Uh, The latest data um, from the CDC is that we have seen a definite downtrend that is also age dependent in the efficacy of the vaccine over the summer, particularly against the Delta. So we're now looking at probably somewhere between 76% and 90 something percent um, with waning immunity over time. So six months out, you're anywhere from three to six months out, you could be down to like a 70% um, protection against the vaccine, against the illness. So it's definitely gone down. but still considered to be quite highly efficacious. Um, what do I see as the risks of, for the healthy person? Well, let me break this into two categories, the risks of getting COVID for the healthy person and the risks of the vaccine for the healthy person. The risks of COVID for the healthy person are really significant. And I have seen people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s with zero comorbidities no other medical conditions. Otherwise, healthy people going about their life, healthy young people also going about their life who have developed long-haul COVID, including um, constant um, vertigo, daily incapacitating migraines, um, long-standing cardiovascular problems, anxiety and depression, um, just a host of um, neurologic symptoms that they've had, long-term smell and taste loss, um, which actually has sounds so mild compared to some of the other things I mentioned. And of course, you'd certainly pick that over daily vertigo and migraines. But um, for those people, it has really affected their, uh, their eating and um, their sense of safety in the world. Like people tell me, I can't smell smoke in my house, for example. So um, the long haul COVID especially has been really significant. There have been people who were healthy one day and were intubated two days later and died three or four days later. So um, yes, having high immunity. Yes, being nutritionally replete. Yes, having the privilege of being white, privileged in general, and having access to medical care all reduce your risk of um, getting sick, very sick and dying, but it has happened across the board. The risks of the vaccine. Um, So far, we know that a lot of people do get um, short-term side effects, especially after the second dose of the mRNAs, local uh, inflammation and irritation after either dose. 
And then especially young people with a robust immune response having flu-like or COVID-like symptoms after the second dose that have taken people out anywhere from half a day to a couple of days and then recovery, full recovery. We have actually not seen, I'm going to get to pregnancy in just in a little bit and breastfeeding, but across the board, we have really not seen long-term side effects or adverse events in most people from the COVID vaccines. If you were to go and read my my book, Vaccinations, A Thoughtful Parents Guide, you will know I don't say that about every vaccine. So I'm not, again, biased to say, oh, you know, this is safe. Everyone should get it. But what I am seeing, what I'm seeing in my practice, what I'm seeing in friends and family, what I'm seeing in extended groups, what I'm seeing in the tens of thousands of people I'm interacting with on social media quite regularly in my email inbox and in the data uh, lends me to feel that the two mRNA uh, vaccines are actually quite safe. There are some complications that I'm going to talk about when I um, get to children uh, or young adults, I should say. We'll talk about children and young adults. Um, but we really have not seen this this um, widely in adults. There have been a small percentage, very small percentage of people who have anaphylactic um, reactions, but it's been really low and the vaccine centers um, and physicians' offices, et cetera, have EpiPens available and they encourage you to wait 15 to 30 minutes to make sure that you don't have a reaction. And I will say historically with vaccinations, even with outliers like um, the um, HPV vaccines, we tend to see adverse reactions either within the first week or in the first few months. And we've now had this vaccine out pretty widely. I mean, there have been tens of millions of doses for um, uh, like nine months now, and we're just really not seeing it. Um, next question is, um, would you recommend giving the vaccine to children under 12 when available? Actually, I'm gonna circle back around to that one when we get to kids um, and, and what the, the nuances are. Sorry, I put these in order. Um, General tips on behavior for vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. So everyone, whether you are vaccinated, right now, I feel like the most effective approach for all of us to prevent the spread of the, vac- of the disease and to protect ourselves is what's called a layered approach. So ideally, as many people as possible who can get vaccinated will help spread, prevent the spread of the um, of the disease. And, you know, if enough people are willing to get vaccinated, that will hopefully protect the small percentage of people who are unable to, or just at the end of the day, for whatever reason, completely uncomfortable with it. Um, so that's one layer. Another layer is for everyone to continue wearing masks indoors and wearing masks outdoors. Um, you know, we got comfortable and we wanted to be comfortable taking our masks off. I did it too. Um, but we're back to wearing masks indoors. Um, so if you are vaxxed or unvaxxed, masks indoors, stay out of large social gatherings. Um, we had concert tickets to go see The Roots um, this weekend, but that was before Delta. We're not going to go. It's just not worth it to us to be in a crowd. Um, there's no reason for it. Love The Roots, but we're not going to do that. Stay out of big crowds. Keep your gatherings to small groups. Ideally, go back to those pods that you were connecting with. If you are gathering, gather outdoors 
And if you do need to be indoors, ideally be indoors, ideally only with other people who are vaccinated. And um, or if you have people indoors who are not vaccinated, um, masks are essential. That's a really personal choice. I have some friends who wanted to come visit this weekend and I had to say, are you guys vaccinated? Because if it's rainy, we're going to need to be indoors or send them on their way. That's a decision that if they're unvaccinated that we um, personally made. I had a person coming over. We need to get our house painted. And um, I had a person come over this morning to do um, a proposal and look around. And he, I asked him and he wasn't vaccinated. Um, we made the decision to have him only come into one room because I needed him to look at something and told him he had to wear his mask and make sure it was in place properly. Um, and, uh, we're going to have him do the outdoors only, um, unless he gets vaccinated. So to give you an example, those are the choices and I have no judgment of him. I totally understand people's choices, but I'm making the personal judgment to say to friends, look, if you're not vaccinated, we can hang out social distance outside or just not at all. That is a personal choice. Hand washing, hand sanitizer, um, still really important. You know, hand washing is, is something we should all be doing ideally anyway. Um, and then back to fist bumps and keep your, you know, six to eight feet social distance. If we can all do that, hopefully we will prevent the spread. I'm not traveling far and wide. Um, you know, I encourage people not to travel far and wide right now. Things like airplanes, um, other countries, you know, uh, my daughter and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, we're hearing reports coming from people who have gone to other countries who are now sequestered in their hotel rooms for two weeks because they've gotten exposed. And then of course you run the risk of needing medical care in other places. So I'm personally, um, unless you have to travel, if you can stay home, that's a great thing to do. Okay. So I want to switch gears and just talk about vaccine hesitancy. And there are just a few things that I want to clear up because there's been a lot of mythology out there. One, COVID vaccines do not contain microchips. Now look, y'all are all going to be making your own judgments of me based on what I say. And hopefully, you know, those of you who are coming to me for other things, you know, pregnancy information, health information, and you disagree with what I say, you'll still want to come for that other information, you know, whether you're pro-vax or anti-vax, um, you know, I hope you find things that you want and know that this is my sharing to you. And it's a controversial one. I, I don't do this um, lightly. I mean, I know that doing this, there are going to be people that unsubscribe and there are going to be haters. And, you know, from, from the medical world, if I even say that I understand why people are vaccine hesitant, you know, I'm branded as, a, you know, a vaccine skeptic and I'm not. Um, and, you know, if I say, things about, uh, you know, being pro-vaccine or, you know, supportive of the COVID vaccine than those of you who are anti-vaccine are going to, I know I'm here to share um, with, with you so that you can make your own best decision. And that's always been my approach with vaccinations to be transparent, share the data so you can make your own best decisions that you feel good about and safe with. And this is a terribly confusing decision to make. I get it for, for many people. Um, I can also tell you that as much as I've been a radical out of the box home birth midwife, including three DIY births of my own four children at home um, and midwife, my own two grandchildren at home, um, I am a firm believer in the power of public health. I am a firm believer in the global benefits of vaccinations. I have treated patients 
with fulminant diphtheria in Haiti. I have taken care of people who had polio as children. It is not pretty. It is not fun. And these people have had big compromises in their lives, those who have you know, lived to tell the tale later on. I'm also an insider. I went to Yale Medical School. I went to Tufts Medical School. I'm an insider. Those are the kinds, if there were microtrips in the vaccinations, if all these myths were true, I'm on the inside enough to hear them. I still teach classes at Yale Medical School. Um, I have been to like the back end gatherings where the Pfizer, rep- Pfizer researcher who's on the Yale campus was there. Again, I have no financial horse in the game. I'm just here to help you make a decision. But I can say to you, these myths are not real. So back to the myths. COVID vaccines do not contain microchips. Receiving a COVID vaccine will not make you magnetic or attract 5G. COVID vaccines used in the United States do not shed. The vaccine shedding is a phenomenon that happens when there is live virus. These do not contain live virus. They do not contain or discharge any vaccine components outside of your your body. Vaccine shedding cannot happen with this. And none of the vaccines authorized for use in the U.S. contain any live virus components. And finally, COVID vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. So you're not receiving genetic material it doesn't, that gets into your cells. That's not how these work. So um, if you've been worried about those things, I hope you, you know, trust my word on that. But, um, you know, those are just myths and, and conspiracy theories. Okay. Question is, um, do I need to vaccinate if I have antibodies? It's a great, great question. These are all great questions. But um, the research shows that if you've previously had COVID, your, an- your immunity lasts around 90 days or so. It's still unclear. And there's a lot that's you know, evolving all the time on this information. But we do know that people can get COVID again. And if you had one strain, you can get the Delta, for example. Um, So if you have antibodies from previously getting sick and you get the vaccine, you're still less likely to get sick again. And if you do get sick again, you're still less likely to get very sick. If you have antibodies from the vaccine, then there's no need to get uh, another vaccine um, unless, you know, and I'm not going to talk about boosters today because we just don't know yet. I can't speak to you about the boosters because the data is still too early um, and they're not ready for prime time. So when that comes about, which I suspect it will sometime between December and March, we'll hop back on if we haven't already. I'm, I suspect we will before then. Um, the mRNA vax has never been used on humans. Is it safe? Animal studies say no. mRNA vaccine has never been used the way it's being used right now. And it's being used now still under emergency use authorization, so EUA. But mRNA technology is not new. So I am not concerned about the fact that this has never been used in humans before. Additionally, we now have tens of millions of doses in all age groups except for children under 12. And well, not tens of millions, we have about a million doses in kids, but um, in young people, Um, but tens of millions of doses in adults. And we're just not seeing anything that would make me concerned that the MRA technology has sort of gone wild in some way. Pros and cons of getting vaccinated. The pros of getting vaccinated are that you can have a little more sense of security that you're not going to get very sick, need to be intubated or die. And same for your family members and friends. 
um, who get choose to get vaccinated. You can be more liberal. You can be indoors with your friends. I've had dinner with other friends who are vaccinated in our homes around the table, not necessarily six or eight feet apart the whole time. It does give a sense of freedom. And then, of course, a huge pro is that you are participating in stemming the global spread of this pandemic. Um, so those are, and then if you were to get sick, you would get much less sick, most likely. So those are all pros. Cons of getting vaccinated. Um, there are unknowns. I mean, there are absolutely unknowns. We don't know that. I don't think we're all going to grow three heads in, in another year or five or 10 years down the road. But sure, there are absolutely unknowns. Here's how I see it. I am seeing such horrible long haul symptoms. Just to give you an example, very briefly, uh, a young father I know in his early, uh, late 30s, early 40s, um, two beautiful kids, wonderful wife, uh, very successful career, totally healthy, like no medical problems, eats well. Um, you know, even by my standards, and I have pretty high standards of what that means, eating well, exercises, has a good job. Um, white privilege, you know, all the things that should be protective, uh, got COVID early on and is suffering daily, daily from at least two severe headaches or migraines, has intractable, intractable vertigo, has to wear earbuds all the time because the noise of his kids overstimulates his nervous system and triggers the vertigo hasn't been able to work um, consistently and has been in and out of the hospital. And then on top of that, digestive system symptoms and other things. So um, to me, there's a lot of unknown about the vaccine, but in my opinion, there's way more unknown about getting COVID and what it does. It's affecting neurologic symptoms, systems. It's affecting the brain. It's affecting, you know, the nervous system in many, many different ways. It's affecting um, cardiovascular system in serious ways. And we know that getting COVID increases all-cause morbid mortality, regardless of how sick you got, all-cause mortality in the six months after being sick. So to me, I'm not a risk taker. And, and um, you know, I'm very skeptical of new treatments and new therapies. I've always followed what's called the chase rule of three that I learned in medical school, which is wait three years for something to be out on the market before you start using it. But in this case, we're in a very, he was talking about you know, pharmaceuticals, it was my dean of the medical school, wait and see what happens. But this is the first time we've ever had so many millions of a dose with so much surveillance happening at the same time. So for me personally, I felt and continue to feel that the risks of the vaccine are lower, predictable, and controlled compared to the risks of getting COVID. And the thing is, you can have really mild COVID and still have long haul symptoms. So that is my that has been my personal bottom line, what I've said to my friends and family, and what I've said to my patients. I was very grateful that there that I couldn't get the vaccine for the first whatever it was, four months, because I wanted to know that millions of people had got it. So I'm grateful to those people who got it ahead of me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that the risks of infection are much more significant than the, any risks uh, which appear to be low of the vaccine. Um, how do we negotiate the unknown long-term side effects of the vaccine? 
we negotiate it by just i mean all i can say is you're making a choice you're making a calculated risk and um you know it's like saying how do i negotiate the long term risks that i'm going to get married and get divorced in 10 years or that my husband or wife or partner or person is going to turn out to be somebody i didn't expect them to be at all i mean we we take calculated risks in life right we don't usually um get into a relationship with someone and meet their parents and do a genetic test before we like sleep with them the first time. I mean, we take pretty significant if you think about it calculated risks for big unknowns. Um I would say that's what we're doing here. Um but I would say that so far there are no vaccinations that I and I believe me I pay a lot of attention to the field of vaccinations and infectious disease. There are none so far that 5 or 10 or 18 years later we've seen have these rampant unpredictable side effects but we do know that covid is already having those one year out so that's how i personally negotiate that choice and then i think you just have to come to peace with it and um i don't trust your body and um find acceptance if you do make that decision to get the vaccine um is the vaccine safe for all people and um what kind of inflammation can it cause So the vaccine is not safe for all people. First of all, we know that for children under 12, we don't know yet. And we know that people who are allergic to um um uh, polyethylene glycol, which is used in the vaccine, we know that people who um have uh had previous vaccine reactions for those people the vaccine is not safe. But for for the most part, the vaccine has been shown to be safe for all populations that are currently receiving it. People with autoimmune conditions have not seemed to show uh more reactivity or problems with the vaccination. The only thing we've seen so far is people who have immunocompromise may not get adequate immunity from the two dose regimen and may need a third dose to actually get protection. Um what kind of inflammation can it cause it typically just causes short term inflammation so it causes local inflammation at the injection site and then it activates your immune system and part of activating the immune system whenever your immune system gets activated if you get a cold if you get the flu if you get a splinter if you're under significant stress your immune system gets activated and you create inflammatory cytokines and other inflammatory chemicals this is very short lived it's it happens if you get covid also it's just shorter and more controlled and much less severe if you get the vaccine but it's a natural response to the vaccine and that's why younger people with more robust immune systems tend to have more um side effects or symptoms after they've gotten the second dose than people over 55 Our blood clots are risk with the vaccine only with the J&J and possibly some other vaccines that are uh, available outside the US. I think the AstraZeneca also was associated was available in other countries, but the mRNA vaccines no blood clotting is not a risk for those. Um I'll talk a little bit more about um um risk in just a minute when we get to talking about um kids also. So I'll swing back around to the couple of things that we do know. Um vaccines safe for someone with hypothyroidism and no Hashimotos um have heard have we will have heard we will suffer long haul covid symptoms from the vaccine. So so far there has been zero evidence of long haul symptoms from the vaccine. Zero. We've only seen that with the um 
with COVID itself. With hypothyroidism, endo, Hashimoto's, there should be no increased risk of your getting vaccinated. It is your choice, of course, but um, you have less risk than you have of getting COVID and having more multi-system um, symptoms. Helpful ways to, to support your body pre and post vax. I have said this for 35 years, as long as I have educated families about vaccinations, it's actually better to trust the resilience of your body. Other than eating well and getting good sleep, and the one thing I do recommend throughout this pandemic and have from the beginning is take 2,000 to 4,000 IUs of vitamin D3 every day. For your kids who are about eight and under, you can do um, 800 IUs, 400 for babies, and then for um, kids eight to, to 12 or so, you can give them one to 2,000 units a day. Obviously, you can talk with your pediatrician or family physician or whoever, whomever you see for your child's health. But we do know that people with lower serum vitamin D levels do seem to get, are more likely to get sick and um, more likely to get more severely sick. Taking vitamin D is not a treatment for COVID, but being vitamin D replete may be helpful. I wouldn't bone up on vitamin D right before you go in for the vaccine. That's for overall immune health and, and infection prevention. But when it comes to the vaccine, just get good rest, carve out a couple of days, especially after your second vaccine. So I recommend if you can get an appointment, like on a Friday, then you've got the weekend to rest if you do find that you are someone who gets activated by it and gets some of those um, predictable symptoms from it. But other than that, trust your body. You don't need to take homeopathics. You don't need to take herbs. You don't need to take supplements. And in fact, it's really better not to. So people ask me, well, should I take adaptogens or medicinal mushrooms? I'm like, no, those are altering your immune system. You want your immune system to get the natural response that you would get if you got exposed to an infection. Um, you just want that natural immune response. Um, what are my thoughts on the need for the booster? Feels like so many shots. It does. The jury is out for me on the booster. I want to see a lot more evidence than I've seen so far on it on the need for it and the safety of it and the efficacy of it. So when I know more about the booster, I will promise I will circle around and um, let you know what I'm thinking, what I've decided and what the research, you know, decided for myself when I'm telling my patients and what the research says. Will the virus continue to evolve and spread? Is there any end in sight? You know, this virus is defying a lot of rules. So when we look at the Spanish flu, for example, in 1918, it had a very typical um, viral appearance in the sense that it had a really big spread, it went away, and then it had a really big spread again, and then it went away. When we look at things like measles, measles is pretty much a seasonal disease. When we look at mumps, kids mostly just get mumps in the spring. When we look at the flu, we know that the flu in the northern hemisphere is mostly in our fall winter into very early spring like march is technically still spring right march april um this infection has defied all of that it's here all the time and my guess truly is that it will become part of our landscape in a sense the way that the flu has become part of our landscape um it becomes more background noise we know it happens i mean look eighty thousand people die from the flu a year just in the united states this has been I'm not comparing this to the flu in terms of numbers or severity, but you know, people used to be terrified of the flu and then um, it was gone. We look at some diseases like polio um, with um, changes in um, 
public hygiene, sanitation, um, and then ultimately the advent of the vaccine. There is no polio in the northern hemisphere anymore. So we can um, we can see diseases come and go. We can see diseases become um, something that we don't have to think of anymore, um, but we still just don't know. And so the best thing we can do, in my opinion right now, is do everything we can to keep it from spreading so that hopefully it will go into sort of like remission, if you will, as part of our global consciousness. And it'll be something that either is a background hum that we know how to manage, that the virulence goes down. Remember, this is the first time we're all being exposed to it. And it is it does show that it, it does mutate actually fairly rapidly. So hopefully the Delta will be the worst of the mutations. But the thing is, if we're all unmasking and we're not following basic hygiene and distancing, if the next one comes and it's even more virulent, we're, we're going to be spreading it fast. I, I jokingly say it's a little bit like uh, um, getting pregnant. If you've been breastfeeding, you ovulate before your first period so you can be pregnant before you realize that you're even cycling again. If we're not doing all the things to layer that protection, and even if you choose not to be vaccinated, that layering of masking, letting other people know. I had somebody hug me recently who came from another country, a nurse, and I assumed she came up to me. I was out in public um, and she, she hugged me and it was during that time that we were unmasking. And then she said, so what do you think about the vaccine, Aviva? And then it turns out she wasn't vaccinated. And I was really quite um, angry, actually. I felt like it, it's, it's somebody's responsibility to at least inform people of their status so that uh, so that everyone can feel safe. So these are the things that we can do, one, to stop the spread, even if you choose not to vaccinate, and two, be protected and protect each other should another mutation arise. Um, hopefully there won't be one, as my great-grandma would say, knock wood, there won't be one, and if there is, it won't be more, more virulent, more contagious. Um, so, but yes, it can. And it can continue to um, evolve. What do I think about vaccine passports? You know, I am somebody who is an absolute freedom um, of decision person. And I don't believe that people should be forced to get the vaccination at all. I think it has to be a personal choice. I mean, to me, that's like public health critical. Public health critical. I mean, it, maybe if it were Ebola or something, it would be something different. I don't know. But even then, I mean, I feel like public health this has to be a personal choice. Um, but I do feel like it is fair and appropriate for um, private institutions and for, for public institutions to either require somebody to have been vaccinated or to wear a mask or to demonstrate a negative test. I think that is, from a public health perspective, but also a personal perspective, fair and reasonable. Uh, I don't believe that people should be limited from going into doctor's offices or public institutions, um, but we have to figure out what that um, patient flow is and workflow so unvaccinated people aren't exposing vaccinated people. But if everyone's masked up and observing distancing, hopefully that will help. But I do think some, um, I think, I think it's reasonable to have personal accountability. I mean, I don't have a problem um, and I, and even if I were unvaccinated, and again, I, like I said, my kids weren't all fully vaccinated or all vaccinated. Um, you know, I do think it's, I think it's the right of the public school system to say that, you know, this is a rule and then we make another choice. I homeschooled my kids. So, um, you know, it's a complex area. 
Um, interestingly, constitutionally, there is a constitutional precedent to require people to be vaccinated. I hope we don't ever get to that point because I don't think that would be right. But I do hope that people who are choosing not to vaccinate would be willing to disclose to others um, or to mask up and maintain social distance. I think that's fair. Um, okay, now we're into, let's see. Um, okay. So the next set of questions is, what do I think about vaccines vis-a-vis -vis hormones? Just a quick piece on that is that I actually have several blogs and podcasts over at my website. For those of you who are not familiar with that, it's avivaram.com. Just search COVID or search, yeah, search COVID and it'll pull those up in the search bar in the top right. I have one on uh, pregnancy, fertility, and breastfeeding that will answer a lot of your questions. Although I wrote it a few months ago, I updated, I wrote it at the beginning of the pandemic, I updated it a few months ago, and I'm going to update it again next week because there's new data evolving. So, um, but we'll talk about what some of that is, but you can find my discussion. And uh, there's another article on um, COVID and women's menstrual cycles and hormones, which is what I was gonna say. So, um, vax times hormones. Will the spike protein affect fertility? The answer is people are getting pregnant through the pandemic and having perfectly healthy pregnancies and babies, largely, I mean, disproportionately so, um, no problems. Um, people are getting fertility treatments without any problem. So, so far, based on all of the evidence, absolutely not. The spike protein, the vaccine, and COVID itself should not affect fertility. If you get sick with COVID, it may suppress your menstrual cycle for a short time, and I talk about that. But that happens when you get sick with anything. If you get the flu, you might have a period that's a week or two late. If you have uh, another infection, it'll affect your cycle that way. That's what our bodies do to protect us from getting pregnant while we're sick and when our body's resources are going into healing. But there's no reason um, to delay getting, um, delay getting pregnant other than you know the complications of having social support and family help and friends and all of that, which I talk about a lot in the hashtag I deserve birth support class, which is free uh, through September. We are launching the membership group, but right now if you go to Facebook, hashtag I deserve birth support, you'll find all my discussions on um, how to get good support when you have to social distance and how to have a healthy pregnancy and postpartum. Um, but short of that, um, you know, the personal, social, emotional reasons from a medical perspective, um, there's no reason to delay getting pregnant if you got one or two of the vaccines. If you found yourself pregnant after you got the first vaccine, you can still get the second vaccine. So at this point, based on a substantial amount of evidence, you don't have to worry about, um, you can get the vaccine while you're pregnant, before you're pregnant. Um, you can do fertility treatment while you're pregnant, before you're pregnant, once you become pregnant, etc. So um, you can feel really confident. And I will tell you, I have three daughters, and uh, my three daughters don't have children yet, and I have encouraged my three daughters to feel confident that it will not affect their fertility um, if they choose to vaccinate, which the childbearing age daughters have chosen to vaccinate. So, I, and believe me, I'm like, I want my grandchildren to be healthy, and I want my daughters to be healthy. Um... Okay, will the vaccine disrupt my hormones, menstruation, or fertility? Please talk about how women's periods are being affected by the vaccine. Um, has any has anyone done, let me talk, and then the question is, has anyone done any studies on the effects on hormonal health after vaccination? 
So in the interest of time, because I have a full podcast and article on, as I mentioned, vaccines and menstrual health and COVID and menstrual health, just to reiterate, um, you can see shifts in your menstrual cycle. Many women have reported that once they have gotten COVID, they've had delayed menstrual cycles for a couple of cycles or off irregular menstrual cycles for a couple of cycles. And I have heard from women. In fact, we did a survey on Instagram. We had 15,000 responses. And there was a small percentage of women who did say that they had some shift in their menstrual cycle after the vaccine, um, all resolving within a, you know, a couple of cycles for all the women who um, we asked and who have come to me and shared this information with me. The meta studies that are happening now are showing the same thing. One, women are reporting it. Two, absolutely no changes in um, any uh, fertility, uh, menstrual cycles, etc., long term. And what's thought is that the um, stimulation of the immune system and that a little bit of you know inflammatory reaction or robust inflammatory reaction for some people, particularly for women who are younger, in, you know, in their um, late teens through. Um, through their 30s, where the most robust vaccine reactions are being seen, the, the predicted ones where you feel crappy, to say the least, um, it, is, it is very plausible that the immune reaction, because there are immune and inflammatory interactions that also um, allow us to menstruate or part of menstruation, are affected. There has not been any research so far that I've seen published looking at the vaccine or covid and women's hormone levels. And um, another question, is the vaccine safe for someone struggling with fertility? In my opinion, personally, and based on all the literature, absolutely yes, because if you were to get sick and then have long haul symptoms, that would affect your fertility way more than um, just getting the vaccine and getting on with it. Okay, I hope this is really helpful for for, um, all of you. You know, even if you disagree with me, I hope it's clarifying for you, but I hope that it's helpful information and that you're feeling supported and nourished in this space too. Okay, now we're going to get into vaccinations and pregnancy and breastfeeding. So uh, the first question is, are healthy non-vaccinated pregnant women more at risk for hospitalization if sick? All pregnant women are more at risk for hospitalization if sick. If you have comorbidities like diabetes, um, heart disease, hypertension, and also if you are a black or brown person who is pregnant, you are substantially at more risk of getting very sick and um, being hospitalized, etc. Um, the reasons for that with black and brown women, black and brown people have to do with systemic racism, access to care, access to responsive care when people do get sick, and all of the endemic racist problems in our culture that often also lead to um, more stress, lower nutrition, etc. So for example, being vitamin D deficient is much more common um, in the black community than it is amongst um, white folks, so or black communities than amongst white communities. So, um, you know, there you have just one major disparity that we already talked about in the importance of vitamin D for protection. Um, so um, if you're healthy and you're not vaccinated, so all pregnant women have been less likely to get COVID infection and have symptoms 
than non-pregnant women. But pregnant women who do get COVID are more likely to get very sick. And um, so you're less likely to get COVID, but more likely to get very sick. Also, pregnant women who get exposed to COVID are more likely to stay asymptomatic, but be carriers. And you can still pass the uh, antibody onto your baby so your baby can be born COVID, um, SARS-CoV-2 positive. Now, that can actually be protective. Getting the vaccine in pregnancy, getting sick either before or during pregnancy, which I hope you don't, or contracting the virus but not getting sick, so being colonized and developing antibodies, those antibodies, the IgG and IgA and IgM, all seem to pass through to baby. So baby um, may be born positive, but those babies may also be more likely to be protected. We don't know for how long. The rate of babies getting sick or very sick is truly negligible. This has been one of the great blessings of this virus is that it has largely, largely spared infants and children. So um, we'll talk more about that. But um, that may be really beneficial. The thing to know, though, is if you test positive in the hospital, it may likely set off a whole cascade of um, being separated from your baby, your baby getting tested. If your baby is test, test positive, that may set into place some additional um, observations. Most babies who test positive are just as healthy as any other baby. There have been a few, a very small, like we're, we're talking like hundredth of a decimal place number of cases of babies who have been positive and a smaller number of those babies who have gotten sick, but it has happened. There have been some cases. Um, let's see, how are babies with COVID reacting? Um, so far, um, as I said, very little severe illness. There have been a few cases of severe illness. When I say a few cases, I really mean like we're talking like in the um, hundreds and less, very, very low numbers. Um, and so far of the babies who have tested positive, of the babies who have gotten sick, there haven't been um, long haul symptoms that have been seen. So this is something that is being aggressively observed by the CDC and by the American Academy of Pediatrics to see, because we just don't know. And of course, um, it's, it's scary and it's concerning. So there's a lot of surveillance happening um, around this. Vaccine is considered now to be safe while pregnant. And even though there is still a lot of unknown it is considered safer to get the vaccine than to get COVID while pregnant. And getting the vaccine does appear to confer some immunity to baby. We don't know what that means in the long run or how long that's going to last for those babies, but that does seem to be um, important. I have been someone over the course of my midwifery and medical career who has been very supportive of women choosing not to get the typical vaccines during pregnancy, Tdap, etc. Um, I would say that, of course, as I've reiterated multiple times, it remains a personal choice. But at this point, unlike three months ago, six months ago, and 12 months ago, I do feel confident telling my pregnant patients that it is safe to get vaccinated during pregnancy. And were my daughter to be pregnant tomorrow, I would tell her, absolutely personal choice. 
but from the data, it appears to be safer to get the vaccine than to get COVID. And of course, this is constantly emerging. So if you're somebody who just is like, I can't, I can't do it. And I get that during pregnancy. I really get that during pregnancy. Um, you know, I was the person who someone wrote, I went to, I had one OB appointment in my first pregnancy and I declined an ultrasound, an external ultrasound. And the physician put refuses ultrasound on medical record. I'm saying that's very hostile. Um, but you know, I'm that person. So I really do understand. And, um, that said, I do feel like it's, it's, from everything I can see, safe while you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant and then get pregnant, including in the first trimester, although most of the data is on second and third trimester vaccinations. There's very little follow-up data. There's lots and lots of women getting vaccinated in the first trimester now, but we don't have as much follow-up data as we do on second and third trimester. Um, Most of the people who have gotten vaccinated in pregnancy that is represented in the data are healthcare workers because from the beginning when the vaccine was available, the recommendation was if you're pregnant and you don't need to get the vaccine, hold on and wait. But if you are in a high risk, high exposure category, it's preferable to get it than to get sick. And so a lot of healthcare workers got um, COVID vaccine during pregnancy or pre-pregnant and then became pregnant um, after, after vaccination. And So the New England Journal article is about 4,800 data points of of individual women who were pregnant or got pregnant, got the vaccine. And um, again, mostly second and third trimester. And I think 76% of them were nurses. Also, they were disproportionately white women also. Um, We haven't seen differences in terms of different... um, demographics and reacting differently to the vaccine. We've just seen more vaccine hesitancy, understandably, in certain um, groups with certain backgrounds where there's been historically a disproportionate amount of um, just horrifying medical um, experimentation, everything from Tuskegee to forced um, sterilization. So again, um, we're seeing understandable hesitancy and, and also those are also sadly the same populations at the highest risk for getting sick and very sick and dying. So Um, obviously there are a lot of social changes that need to happen. Um, but if you are in a demographic that, um, has historically been victim of a system that is just horrifyingly racist, um, uh, you know, I hope that some of what I'm sharing with you today is reassuring about the microchips and the, all this and the the other, that this is not a global, it's an experiment in the sense that we're all in it together, but it's not, um, it's not some like diabolical global experiment. Um, the doctors I know who work at pharmaceutical companies and work at big institutions are getting vaccinated too, and their families are getting vaccinated. Um, okay, let's see. Um, okay, just got vaccinated and I'm breastfeeding. Will I pass antibodies on to baby? Yes, there's a really nice study or several really nice studies now that look at Um, time from vaccination to um, uh, antibodies in baby, and it breaks it up by IgM, IgG, and IgA. And we see that from the first few days all the way through the first six weeks, antibodies are building, and those babies are building an antibody complement. Some of those antibodies wane, some of those stick. So the IgG um, is more systemically protective, and the IgA protects the respiratory and gut passages. And that one comes on a little bit later, but that's one of the major ways that our bodies protect us 
against infection is through having healthy IgA. So it appears that getting sick with COVID and also getting COVID vaccine and also having an, being an asymptomatic carrier but having antibodies all um, that all passes into the breast milk and through the umbilical cord um, to baby, depending on whether you're pregnant or breastfeeding. Newly pregnant, is it safe to vaccinate? All the data says yes. Um, 16 weeks and looking for reassurance that it's safe to vaccinate. I hope I'm providing that. If anything changes, I promise you I will be on here in a hot minute, even if I have to hop on at midnight and say, hold the presses. Um, but so far, I'm not feeling that way at all. Um, with the current data, do you still recommend to wait to conceive 6 to 12 weeks post-vax? So that was a recommendation that I shared um, early on when the vaccine was first available because there was so much unknown. I mean, even the CDC was saying, World Health Organization, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. So it was like, all right, we can all wait um, a minute and see what happens. And then that vulnerable period of... Um, of neurologic development for the infant, the fetus, sorry, the embryo fetus in that first you know, trimester to me seemed prudent to wait. At this point, we've had enough pregnancies that I do feel confident, but again, most of the data is in second and third trimester. So if you are able to really, really protect yourself in all the other ways I've talked about layering, sheltering at home more, um, wearing a mask, don't go indoors without a mask, don't be indoors in a personal setting with people who are unvaccinated. If you can do all of those things and you're more comfortable waiting till after the first trimester, then I can say, you know, with full clarity that we don't have that full first trimester data yet. I don't think it's unsafe by any means, but if you would be more confident waiting till there's more data, that data is being aggregated all the time. So I think in the next few months, we'll see more data on first trimester pregnancies. Okay. Um, what is the optimal timing to get the vaccine during pregnancy to optimize antibodies to baby? Um, I don't know that there's any data on that so far. What we do know is that women who have had COVID within um, a week one, one study shows two weeks and one study shows one week. So women who have contracted COVID or tested positive for COVID, um, their babies do get antibodies. But as far as the vaccine goes, I don't know what that length of time would be, what that optimal time, because you're passing them on. What we, what we really don't know is how long those antibodies last in the baby yet. So whether you got first trimester, second trimester, or third trimester vaccine, if those antibodies only last 90 days, right? Like 90 days in third trimester, then your baby would have protection but ostensibly for three months after. But if it was 90 days and you got it while you're, you know, newly pregnant, well, 90 days later would be end of second or middle, you know, toward the second trimester. So we just don't have that data yet. Um, but as far as you getting protected, the optimal time from a medical perspective is before you're pregnant or as soon as you know you're pregnant. Um, I will also say that most of the adverse outcomes that we've seen in pregnancy have, not all, I mean, there have been horrible stories of things that have happened to women in second trimester, for example, but um, those have been as much to do with um, systemic racism as to do with the COVID vaccine itself. So, you know, a woman um, getting really sick and having a stroke and not being taken in the hospital, but was black in a low-income community rather than in a different set of circumstances. Maybe that would have been different. I don't know. But most of the um, adverse outcomes we're seeing in pregnancy from women having COVID infection have been third trimester. So 
preeclampsia uh, increases the risk. Um, hypertension increases the risk. These are usually things that develop later in pregnancy. And so it's getting COVID in the setting of one of those things having developed increases the risk. So um, we've seen less risk of severe adverse outcomes in pregnant women in first and second trimester. I'm not saying don't get vaccinated pre-pregnant or first or second trimester. I'm just saying that the likelihood of getting sick, very, very sick and having something bad happen is greatest in that third trimester around birth and postpartum. So if you're not comfortable with a first trimester vaccination, but you want to get vaccinated, you know, talk with your midwife or care provider about your personal risks and whether maybe waiting gives you a greater sense of confidence and safety past that first trimester to protect yourself against those other risk factors. And of course, making sure that you're, if you're pregnant, you know, one of the big challenges we've seen with COVID is that women are getting less prenatal care. Um, they're going to the hospital less when they need to. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more depression in COVID, things I'm going to be actually writing about more in my blog very soon and talking about on my podcast. Um, so there are other things that are happening as, uh, you know, more isolation, less support. Um, so make sure that you're keeping up with your nutrition, your exercise, connecting with other women, even if it's like in the support group that I offer every Thursday, which right now is still free and it will always be affordable and, and it will always be free to someone who can't afford it. So, um, no questions asked. So, um, you know, those are just some of the things to do to also make sure you're staying healthy. Um, and then let's talk about kids. Okay. So I just want to read my note that I wrote to you about kids. Have, um, kids throughout COVID have been less likely to get sick and less likely to get very sick and death has been rare. The Delta variance predominance has complicated this a little bit. At least 354 kids have died from COVID-19. Now, keep in mind, that's a lot. If it's your kid, it's 100%, right? That's a lot. And we don't want our kids to get sick. But when we think about the millions, the tens of millions that have gotten it, the millions that have, you know, or, you know, the hundreds of thousands that have, have died, millions have died, um, it's, a, it's a teeny tiny number. So a lot of the precautions that we've had around kids masking, schools shutting down, et cetera, et cetera, summer camps and all of that has been to keep the adults at home, especially the grandparents, from being exposed to kids who now have higher viral loads and become a risk to the adults. And even some of the discussion around vaccinating kids has as much to do with protecting the adults as it does. Um, it's like the opposite of the DTaP, right? We recommend the adults to get DTaP vaccine to prevent them from exposing the newborns. We're recommending the kids get it to prevent exposing other, other vulnerable people. But the Delta variant, since the Delta variant has appeared, and now 80% of cases, for example, in New York are Delta variant cases across the board, <coughs> adults, etc. Um, we have seen more kids get sick. Many more thousands have been hospitalized. More than 4,400 kids have been diagnosed with MIS-C, which is multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And that is a rare but serious condition associated with COVID-19. Many have been ill with that. Most have recovered pretty well. And although COVID-19 has been nowhere near the danger it's posed to adults and the elderly, it's been worse for kids, for example, than most flu seasons. And keep in mind, 
we are heading into flu season. So last year, flu season was actually a little better because we were all masked. We were all masked and we were isolating because we were most of us were scared and at home, right? Um, but now if people are unmasking and we have the risk of kids getting RSV, which has gone up in this um, summer, um, MS, MISC or even just COVID or um, the flu, and those things can overlap or happen at the same time, it, it, you know, it's, it's pretty concerning. So I am a huge proponent of getting your kids masked up when they're out in public, when they're around adults, even if the adults are vaccinated. If you're out there amongst people and have your kids vaccinated, I mean, have your, sorry, have your kids masked up. The Pfizer vaccine is available for kids 12 and over. The Moderna is available for kids 18 and over. Um, some of the questions that came in are, would I recommend giving the vaccine to children under 12 when it's available? I need to see more data. I am not someone who says like, oh, it's available, let's go get it. I would wanna see what, this, what the data is that makes us think it is safe in kids because we are seeing in young adults um, in the age range that of the 18 and over, especially males, have developed a cardiovascular complication. Again, largely resolved, but we have seen myocarditis and pericarditis in young adults. And so what's going to protect kids from that? Or are we going to see more of that in kids? And what's the risk of that versus them getting COVID? Because right now, again, the risk of kids getting very sick from COVID has been small, even with the Delta, although it's growing. Um, and so if your kids are... 12 and over, and they're in a high exposure environment or community, then you make that personal decision. First of all, based on your kid's risk factors. Does your child have asthma? A child with asthma who gets a respiratory infection is going to be at greater risk. Um, does your child have immunosuppressive dis uh, an immunosuppressed disorder? Your child's going to be at higher risk of getting sick or very sick if they get COVID. Do you have elderly immunocompromised or individuals, adults at home who have multiple comorbidities who are at risk, in which case that bumps up the reason to get vaccinated. If kids are spreading the COVID virus, which we know they're vectors for it, um, then the choice to get your child vaccinated just as part of the public health movement to reduce um, the spread of this uh, virus is also important and a personal decision, of course. And then um, for kids who are 18 and over, um, I consider it their personal choice and I hope that we would provide them with the ample, adequate information to um, make a, an independent and wise decision. And then certainly if they're going off to school, if they're going off to international travel, um, where their risk of getting sick because they're more exposed to other people and their risk of getting sick away from home and needing medical care um, goes up, right? So choice of a vaccine or your child getting sick and being hospitalized across the country and then you're not able to go in and see them because of COVID. So not to be scary, but these are some of the very real considerations that we need to weigh out in ourselves and make those, you know, make those personal risk assessment decisions. And I really encourage you. And look, I have counseled families for 35 years now around the vaccination decision. And it's it was 30 years now um, around the vaccination decision. And what I really encourage you to do is sit down with yourself. If you're making this decision as a family with your partner, if you have a partner um, with someone you trust, if 
it really write down all the pros, all the cons. Write down where you feel confident and where you feel worried. Because as I've said to people, you, you know, living a good life means not being in fear all the time. And if being in, I mean, look, we're all in a little bit of heightened concern and anxiety. That's natural. We should be. It's what you know, keeps us smart and aware and protected. But if you're living in fear because you're not vaccinated and it's keeping you from doing your life, that's not a healthy way to live either. But conversely, if getting the vaccine just terrifies you and it's not something you can do, you just can't do it for whatever reason, then make sure you're doing all the other things that you are responsible for as part of this culture to stem the spread of this, um, this disease. I said I would swing back. Let me just see if there are any other questions. Um, I think I've answered everything. I can't actually believe that. Um, there are lots more articles, much more detailed conversation on pregnancy. Again, by end of next week or so, I should have all my pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, postpartum article updated for you. You know, just another risk of, um, sorry, another, uh, another pro of getting vaccinated is if you're postpartum. You can have your vaccinated mom or sister or best friend help you. You can help your vaccinated sister or best friend or mom. I mean, heck, people have babies at all ages. We had a woman in the support group recently, the pregnancy support group, who was pregnant with her first baby at 50. So plausibly, her daughter could be saying, my mom is pregnant. Um, uh, you know, but you can get that help. You can do those things that maybe um, you feel like you were kind of locked down before. So keep all those things in mind. I mentioned that I would swing back around to alternative treatments. On my website, I have an article about immune support and alternative treatments. And to what I would say is I'm going to revisit what I said earlier. Healthy diet, good sleep. Healthy diet means low sugar, no sugar, low alcohol or no alcohol. We know those things deplete our immune system. Making sure you're getting a multivitamin, getting vitamin D, getting good sleep, stress reduction, joy, meditation, time in nature. These things really make a difference connecting with people you love, even if you have to do it this way. Um, all those things are really important for immunity and vitamin D. And then I talk about um, the, the pros and cons of other botanicals for immune support over at my website at avivaram.com. But when it comes to ivermectin, any of the other medical or off-label pharmaceuticals, or even when it comes to botanicals for treatment, they don't substitute for medical treatment when it's needed. You can use things to support yourself. If you have a fever, for example, uh, if you got vaccinated and have a fever or you um, got sick and have a fever, you can use Tylenol, you can use your chamomile, lemon balm, and you can use ginger, you can use those things, but stay away from the botanicals that are specifically activating to the immune system if you are sick or have gotten vaccinated. So the adaptogens, and y'all know I love adaptogens, so if I'm saying hold back on them, the medicinal mushrooms, the astragalus, the echinacea, those are the things that we just don't know. Anything off-label, anything that sounds good to be true, anything that's a pharmaceutical that is not standard and recommended, or you're getting, you know, kind of like on the down low, mm -mm, they're not safe. They're not effective, um, and I want you to stay safe, and I want you to stay healthy. I am in shock that we are done at 346, because I said I had a hard stop at 345. I am always so appreciative of your confidence and trust in me. I want to reiterate these are my opinions, my views, 
based on the evidence and information that's out there. I will always stay transparent with you about what I do because I think how else can you like trust me if you don't also have all my the information I'm doing too. And um, I will be here. I will continue to be here. I will continue to offer more and to support you. Um, I really encourage all of you um, so deeply to take care of your mental health right now. Um, I think it's a hard time because there are more choices. I almost think it was easier when we were just like staying home and masking and like there wasn't a vaccine to choose yet. Um, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. Mental health care, staying connected, staying connected with me, staying connected with the people you love, doing safe gathering, social distance, all of that. Um, so important. Thank you for joining me. Again, feel free to share, um, share this and I wish you all good things. Bye everybody. enjoyed this episode of natural md radio if you did please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog and while you're there be sure to sign up for my newsletter it's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally that's avivaram.com take care and see you next time